Good day to you, Mr. John Roderick. Hello, Dan Benjamin. How are you? <laughs> oh, no. Still. No, it's not still. Here's what happened. I think <sighs> my weakened condition allowed another bug to sneak in. Oh, no, no. Now I am sick again with a different kind of sick. Oh, God. And uh, I feel like... I feel like a guy, man. Yeah. I have to say, there are a lot of concerned listeners that seem to think that I have some kind of weak constitution or I'm not living right. Uh, You just have have a five-year-old kid. Yeah, mind your own beeswax. Right, right. But this is, I I cannot think of another time when after two weeks of being like plagued, uh, (laughs) as I was just on the upswing, you know, I, because I had this, uh, even though I was better, I had this racking cough. Yeah. And then something, some, uh, somebody else's dumb cold snuck in and lodged itself. And now I just, now I don't know which end is up. But you, uh, it sounds like you're saying this is just a cold though. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, did you have a fever with this? I don't, I mean, I'm right in the middle of it. I mean, I, I, uh, yesterday, I started to feel like, wait a minute, this cough is taking on a new character. I was so close to (laughs) banishing it. And now what's happening? What is this new? What fresh hell is this? So anyway, suffice to say, not thrilled. Oh, man. And I got, you know, I got shit to do. It's not like I'm just sitting around uh, all day just just eating toast and stuff. I mean, I'm a busy guy. No, I know you are. You got stuff to do. Mm, stuff to do that's why well, i made the- i made a website for you which i just showed you before the the show began and little did i know that it was probably an accurate picture of what was going on right now well no not quite um not quite <laughs> that's the I've, best picture ever i just have to say it i'm obsessed with it well it's <laughs> it's pretty good i have to i have to admit but uh i took it i took it this uh this episode to a higher level i felt like the stand we had we had achieved a standard of a new standard of podcasting, the the podcasting from bed. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know a couple of a couple of listeners, I, you know, I took it as a as a challenge what they what they suggested, and so this episode I am actually uh, podcasting not, from the bath. Oh my god! Yeah, I set up my whole thing here. In the, in the, and in fact, I need a little bit of warm water here, so I'm going to turn oh the bath up. On. So I figured this is where I spend the majority of my time. Why not share that with everybody? I like to, you know, I like to put, put a lot of hot water in and then let it cool down. Oh my God. Heat it up, cool it down. Wow. Now you don't, I mean, I'm, you don't have the, the computer in, in like, the bathtub or near the bathtub, right? Like it's a safe oh, yeah, distance. I have it near the bathtub. It's right here on the, uh, it's right here on the, on the toilet seat. <laughs> and I've got a little table oh that God. has the microphone on it. Uh, I get why the hell not, you know, why not? Why the hell not indeed. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the, uh, that's the new podcasting reality. Wow. Get with the times, everybody. If you haven't podcasted from your bathtub, then, uh, you haven't lived. Oh my God. I this maybe I don't know if this is a first, but it, it damn well feels like one. 
I mean, yeah. Tell me, tell me who's done it before, right. and uh, and I'll give them, I'll give them the, the the credit as a founder. But I don't think it's happened. Wow. I mean, we're really covering new ground on this show. That's the thing about this show, right? It's uh, it's groundbreaking, or in this case, there's no real ground involved. It's 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 water. Yeah, you break water. <laughs> what so a trooper anyway, you I mean, are to, you to, know, to do the show though when you're sick again again ah uh, yeah i mean what, what what else can i do i have to i have to uh i have to get on with life last night the other day i bought a, not the other day a long time ago i bought a a big bag of wood blocks <laughs> for my kid because when i was a kid <laughs> my favorite toy was this big crate of wood blocks that were basically just two by fours that a friend of our family who was a carpenter sawed up into different shapes uh-huh. and sanded so that they weren't, you know, so they had r- slightly rounded edges. I, I love nothing more than, than building, you know, uh, stuff with this. So I, so I found a similar set of wood blocks and I brought them home for my darling daughter who couldn't have been less interested. And so the other day, I, I, I trotted them out, and I was like, look, we can build, like, we can even build a princess castle if that's what you want. <laughs> oh, is that what that photo was? Yeah, and she was like, yawn. <laughs> and every time I, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't even building something. I was just stacking them up to organize them so I could see what parts we had, and she delighted in coming by and knocking down all my piles, which, of course, that's what I would have done. But I waited until she went to bed, and then I built a princess castle. Oh, so it was a little was, surprise for her when she woke up. Well, but yeah, but in the morning, you know, she just she had to go to school right away, and she didn't get a chance to really engage with the princess castle. And I'm sure that she'll engage with it by putting her foot through it. But uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I actually I quite enjoyed staying up all night building a castle out of blocks and. Uh, so, um, although I can't, the weather's nice in Seattle now, and the sun is out. I should be mowing the lawn and and standing out, leaning on my fence, talking to my neighbors. But instead, I'm trapped inside. Oh, damn. Man. Yeah. Well, and so there's another aspect to this, which is last week, mm-hmm. I... Lived the entire week vegan. Really? Yep. On purpose or just out of, by coincidence, that's all you had in the house and you were sick? Well, Dan, do you really believe that you can accidentally be vegan? Uh, Probably not. No, not unless you're in Nepal and, (laughs) and you can't, like there's literally no other thing to eat but Dalbot. But no. I mean, I have access to all the foods of the world here. Sure, I, it's not like I would slip on a on a banana peel and and um, and just like, oh, all I have in the cupboards is some dried seaweed. No, I was intentionally trying to be vegan, uh, and then it evolved pretty quickly into pescatarian. Okay, so I was I was eating fish, so not vegan, but. No milk, no meat other than fish. Uh-huh. And it's okay to eat fish. 
because they, they don't, they don't have, have any feelings. feelings. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that was sort of spectacular, even though I've only mocked veganism my entire life. <laughs> do you feel, do you feel different? Do you feel, I felt incredibly different. Uh, you know, I, I, um, uh, I still, and even maybe more so, found all the vegans I encountered in the world insufferable. <laughs> but there was no denying that within even a couple of days, I felt remarkably different, right? And one of the, one of the profound differences was that I, I just wasn't hungry. Like I would eat some vegan bird seed in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, what then, would you what would your day consist of? Your diet, your daily intake. Mm. Well, so I discovered this yogurt that's made out of almonds. And I in researching veganism at my local hippie grocery grocery store, I realized that almonds are the 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 uh, all-purpose fruit of veganism. Right. Almonds, you can make yogurt out of them. You can mm -hmm. make milk out of them. You can make pancakes out of them. You can make steak out of them. Almonds are everywhere because there's a, there's this strain of thinking that doesn't even like legumes. Like you're not even going to get a peanut. Right. And so, so I was using this almond milk or almond. Yeah. Almond milk and almond yogurt to make an, a morning parfait and then all day long I wouldn't be hungry and then at some point in the night or in the evening I would have a salad or some some fish soup and I just didn't think about food all day and it was it was it was destabilizing because I realized that thinking about food is the number one thing I do all day really well, yeah, because I don't, you know, I don't drink. And so when I want to socialize with somebody, I say, let's go get a. Right. That's, it becomes a lunch or a, a snack or a meal. Sure. Let, let's meet for a thing. Let's go to the thing. Let's, and you know, and then you have your little constellation of restaurants that you and your friends usually go to, none of which are vegan. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so I, I was kind of at a loss because I wasn't hungry, but I didn't know how else to fill all that interstitial time between events. And, uh, and that was kind of shocking because I, I wanted to, I wanted to be more interesting than that. And I wanted to have, have always been someone that was like, I, you know, I always meant to go to the fry museum during the lunch hour, but I couldn't do it because I had to go get some food. But now realizing that, I didn't have to get any food and still didn't go to the Fry Museum. You know, I just, I spent all that food time kind of sitting in my car and, and watching airplanes land. Uh, so, but <laughs> it was not, a great... That's not a creepy thing to do or anything. No, no. <laughs> There's a lot of guys out there by the airport yeah. watching airplanes land. And they're, all, and they're all on the up and up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're a little fraternity. <laughs> Wave and nod. Don't talk to one another. Just... Park your park your trucks at a at a at a respectful distance. Uh, but so when the veganism week experiment concluded, I really wanted to. I really did want to sort of 
adopt elements of it into my normal life. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was so surprised by it that, you know, maybe what could I, could I do this five days a week, let's say, and two days a week, you know, I would have, I would cheat a little bit or something. But then the, the first day that I was no longer vegan, I went to dim sum with my friends. And then when I got home, I had four meatballs. And then the next day I had some pho. And by the end of that day, I might as well have been eating raw hamburger for mm-hmm. all, the, like, still a <laughs> vegan I was. <laughs> right. And I mean, when I say vegan, I know that this is grating on someone's ears because I wasn't vegan. But, I, you know, I like more, to, more like a vegetarian. Oh, yeah. I mean, a vegetarian who's not eating milk or wheat. Right. So it's some kind of thing. It's some, like some sort hybrid. of. Yeah. Nameless path. Nameless path through a, through. It's sort of like when you when you open the door of your house and there's nothing out there but sandworms. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have a good question, which is why why could the pe- why could Beetlejuice get away with having sandworms in their movie with no with no Dune credit? Do you remember? You know they would open the door. Yeah, they would open the door and they would step out, and and technically they were on Saturn. And, uh, and, and, and the sandworms were on Saturn. I see. They were Saturnian. Right. But no, there was no, no credit whatsoever, uh, given to the Dune story. Uh, so anyway, you know, rather than, uh, rather than be, rather than trying to describe that nameless voice, because of course that is how most vegetarians and vegans spend that interstitial time when they're not going to to restaurants and eating with their friends, what they're doing is standing on street corners outside of restaurants, explaining the, the permu- permutations of their diet to people, right? That takes at least an hour and a half every day mm-hmm. to say, well, I'm an ovo lacto. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> like, you got to learn how to order the, the, your favorite, you know, cappuccino drink. You've also got to learn how to speak to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the vegetarian vegan lingo. I went to one of those restaurants at one point in my week, one of the uh, like, oh, you've got to try this vegan restaurant. And it's one of the ones that, <clears throat> that instead of just saying like, well, here are the ingredients that we have to work with. And these are the meals that we came up with. It's one of these ones. that's like, we make eggs Benedict and chicken fried steak and all these things that uh, all these diner foods, but they're all made out of Satan or yeah. tabbouleh or something. Yeah. And uh, just walking in the door, I was like, oh, everyone in here is awful. Like all of the people working here are awful and all of the customers are awful. I don't know if I can endure this. <laughs> and they all looked up at me because I looked like a middle-aged man who lights his cigars with $100 bills because <laughs> that's the way I walk around. <laughs> yes. And I pulled up out front in my 1979 Suburban, Yeah, which, you know, already was just like I was clubbing baby seals <laughs> with my every move and I sat down and I ordered some, you know, some thing, some, uh, Oh, huevos rancheros. And it came exactly as I expected, which is that it was a pile of inexplicably curry flavored, you know, crumbled tofu. <laughs> and I was like, this resembles huevos rancheros in no way because Curry isn't, and then then I looked around and I realized, oh, everything in this restaurant is curry flavored, right? It's curry flavored biscuits and gravy, 
because curry is the international signal for for vegan restaurant. Right. And also for this food is inedible without powerful, powerful seasoning. But there was a lot of, you know, there were a lot of people with, with the earplugs in there judging me for my shoes and stuff. And I just like, I can't join this subculture. But I do, you know, but I went to some vegan restaurants where they're like, we're not trying to make chicken fried steak. We just have these vegetables and here they are. I was like, yeah, I can hang with these people. Yeah, I almost feel like you're better off just embracing, embracing what it is, not trying to, to, to make it into something else. But just right. going with, like, we have a restaurant here, I think it's called Casa de Luz, which mm-hmm. is like an all-vegan kind of a place. And, and they do more what you're, you're talking about now, where it's like, they, they're not trying to, and they're not saying it's Eggs Benedict, and then they bring you out something that's, you know, like you're describing. It, it's, it is what it is. And they yeah, prepare right. it and make it taste good, and there you go. Yeah, you, you, you know, you're going to eat like a sheep, and so <laughs> here's some sheep food, but we've... <laughs> but we've made it for humans enjoy. And it's like, I do enjoy I, the little bit of blanching in olive oil that you've done here makes me feel less like a sheep and uh, more like a, like someone lost on a foreign planet. Okay. We need to say thank you to our first sponsor. It's bench. The online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. I love bench. I was using them before they became a sponsor and actually they became a sponsor because I love the service so much. And I contacted them and I said, you guys need to sponsor. You're really awesome. Uh, it's really, really a great service. If you're a freelancer, if you're an independent business person, if you have a small company, a mid-sized company, uh, and you really don't like the accounting stuff and the bookkeeping stuff, and I sure don't. Uh, it takes away from doing the actual stuff that I like to do, like podcasting or building cool stuff. This is not how I want to spend my time going over and tracking, uh, you know, expenses and balancing accounts and reconciling it. Like none of that's fun. None of it's fun, except if you're a bookkeeper, and that's who Bench has working for them. They hook you up with a dedicated person who is in charge of your stuff and all of your bank accounts just hook in and they can go and look at everything and reconcile everything. And once in a while they'll say, oh, well, what, what was this purchase for? And you can just, you could just categorize it on the screen right there. It's all done over the web. It's all secure. It's all encrypted and it's awesome. I really, really appreciate how affordable it is too compared to what I was spending to have like an, a local in town bookkeeper uh, I'm I'm spending like a quarter, less than a quarter of what I was spending. It's really, really great. And Roadwork listeners are going to get 20% off their first six months when they visit bench.co slash roadwork. Again, the URL to go to bench.co slash roadwork for 20% off your first six months. Let Bench handle your bookkeeping so you don't have to. What brought this on? I mean, what, uh, why did you decide to do this? You know, I'm always experimenting, right? Yeah. You can't, you can't go through life and not try things, particularly the things that you, you mock. Like I'm been mocking vegans my whole adult life. And what do I know about them? Nothing. So why not, why not give it a try? See what it's like. And I found it to be 
pretty great. Although I think the secret to it is. <coughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Where was my cough button? I don't Should we edit t- that out or are you going to leave? No, no, no. I don't want to touch the cough button because I'm afraid I'll, com- I'll complete the circuit and then everyone <laughs> will hear me. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that, please. Um, I think the secret to vegetarianism and, and whatever sort of modified. Now I'm, I'm waving my finger in the air like Bernie Sanders right now. I think the secret <laughs> waggle, waggle, waggle <laughs> is to just quietly, secretly eat that way in the company of your friends. There's always something on almost every menu that you can order some salad or some mm-hmm. little bit of something. And for the most part, your friends and other people aren't paying attention really to what you eat if, right. unless you call attention to it. And so, you know, just, just eat that way most of the time. And then every once in a while, when somebody invites you to their birthday party and you get there and they're like, oh, the cake is made of meat. <laughs> he didn't tell you. <laughs> it's a meat cake. Rather than make a big stink and fall on the floor and, or, you know, or, or raise up some flag, uh, about it, you know, where you're standing there saluting the flag and everybody else is wondering what's happening. Just have a little piece of meat cake and just let it, you know, unless you have some seriously ethical issue with eating meat, in which case it's a different story. But if you're somebody like me, that's just like, ah, maybe this is better. Just don't make a big deal about it. Don't announce it to everybody. Just like make it your practice, right? And I, and I could see myself doing it, but, but boy, as soon as I, as soon as my uh, allotted time was over, I just threw myself back into this garbage pile. I mean, all of the food with the exception of the pho, which I think is one of God's great foods, everything else I ate was garbage, was like pure, a pure bucket of waste. Mm -hmm. uh, You didn't have to go to that extreme though. I don't know why I did it. It was, it was, a, it was an expression of self hate. I made now, admittedly it was gluten free, but I made gluten, I made macaroni and cheese and then put a probably half pound of hamburger in it and then ate it out of the pot. Now, were, were you, were you also being gluten free while you were experimenting with veganism? Cause I know you've, yes. you've dabbled in the gluten free world as well. Yeah, I was gluten freeing. I was gluten-freeing. Because you can't I, have any of the seitan if you're doing that. Nope, didn't have any seitan. I didn't have any seitan. I didn't have any of the, I didn't, you know, it seems to me that a lot of vegans just, just eat like wheat constantly. Yeah, that's I pretty much what they eat. And um, I even got veganaise, mayonnaise, <laughs> which is great. I mean, I actually, by the end of it, because I was, I did get some gluten-free toast, and I was actually spread. This is kind of awful sounding, except that what is vegan? A is it's just oil and oil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was <laughs> spreading it on toast and eating gluten-free toast with vegan mayonnaise on it as a, like with no other accoutrements, mm-hmm. no other adornments. And, and I, I did ask myself how far I had fallen. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was enjoyable. It wasn't, and I don't think it was just enjoyable because I was by that point so deprived. It was, it genuinely tickled my senses. It had umami 
There's nothing wrong with umami. I wonder how many uh, how many of our listeners follow some sort of modified uh, dietary restrictive dietary plan because most of my life I was the I was a pure omnivore. Right? If you put a meat cake down in front of me, I'd say, "Well, it's a, it's a birthday cake made of meat. Why would I not why would I not relish this?" The only things I didn't eat were relish and uh, olives. And what did I not eat? Olives were the were like one of the number one, one of the few things I didn't eat. Oh, potatoes. Right. I didn't eat olives or potatoes. You didn't like them or you just, you had a thing? I didn't like them. I don't like potatoes and I never liked olives. And people would say, oh, you haven't had a blah, 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 olive. And I was like, I have had every olive. So it's not just the fluff for nutter. Like you'll have a thing where you just don't, certain food, you just don't want to go to it. You don't want to try it. I'm going to get you to eat a fluffernutter sooner or later. Blech. Come on. I, uh, I, you know, I, I, like I say, I've tried every kind of. How office. can you be so, you're the, like the most open-minded guy I've ever met and you're closed off to this. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense. Well, I can, I can deduce what a fluffernutter would do to me. I can just, I can see the fluffernutter. I'm seeing one now. I'm envisioning a fluffernutter hovering over my bathtub. There it is, in its little gold halo. And it is just repulsive. It's just a repulsive thing. I do not, I do not want it, Sam, I am. I don't... Okay, okay, wait, hold on, hold on. Pause, pause the show for a minute. Have you had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I eat them on the reg, okay. as we say. Have, I, like have you, I like that. Uh, have, have you had a, a peanut butter and butter sandwich? Yes, probably. Okay, that's good. I highly recommend the, the peanut butter and butter sandwich. One of my father's favorite sandwiches. Peanut butter and butter. Peanut butter and butter. I think my dad would have liked that. And it's I a special you, treat, you know. I bet you he made peanut butter and butter sandwiches all the time and just never copped to it because that sounds exactly <laughs> like something he would eat. <laughs> it's good. Uh, I mean, why have you ever had, you know, like maybe you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you're like, you know what? I don't have any jelly. I'm going to just use some jam and maybe I'll use some raspberry jam or maybe I'll use some strawberry jam. Or have you ever done anything like crazy like that? Now I'm going to take issue with that because every one of my peanut butter sandwiches has raspberry jam on it. That's the, that is my, that is my, uh, iconic peanut butter sandwich. Uh I can't imagine anyone making a peanut butter sandwich with anything other than raspberry jam. What, well, what would you call what would you call a uh, a stock standard peanut butter sandwich? A peanut stock a stock would be grape uh, jelly. Grape grape jelly, not even grape jam, but grape jelly. Well, I grew Come up; it was on. always grape jam, uh, <laughs> and it had to be the Smucker's grape jam. Come on, come on! That's the that you go to the grocery store. That's the cheapest. Well, that's the cheapest spread. Yeah, I remember the fir- I remember the first time I lived on my own. I was, uh, I was, I was still 17 and, uh, and I went to my brother's, uh, orchard in Yakima and I said, I don't have any money. I'm traveling across America and I need to, I need to make some money. Can I work on your orchard picking fruit? And he laughed and said, you know, picking fruit is its own skill. And there are a lot of guys here, sort of itinerant fruit pickers who, who sweep in here they all arrive on the back of a flatbed truck and they, they'll pick these 
these trees clean and you're a dummy and you're going to get schooled by these guys. You're not going to make any money. You, you, you make money by the, by how much fruit you pick, right? It's not like you get paid by the hour. You get paid by the bushel. And I was like, I can do it. And so every day I was out there picking fruit and I would, I would stake out a tree and I would spend all afternoon in this one tree while these guys, uh, you know, very cordially and very hilariously would just, you know, two guys would go up a tree and they'd strip it in five minutes, mm. move on to the next. And I'm up there like carefully picking each apple. But so in order to, in order to help me in my quest to earn what I, what ultimately was probably $300 over the course of a month and a half <coughs> of picking apples, pears, cherries, peaches, my brother let me live in a, in what he called an apartment, which was one of those, there was a barn and then the front of the barn was this like one bedroom apartment that was built in 1910 that no one had lived in for 30 years, but it had a little kitchen and had a bedroom and I had to go in and like sweep it out and get all the scorpions out of it or whatever it was. <laughs> and it was my first apartment, right? I was like, I have my own place, like my own door, my own bathroom, which is full of scorpions. And I went to the grocery store. Maybe for the first time in my life as an independent person, right? I've been to the grocery store many, many times to buy beer and to do uh, whippets out of the, out of the, you know, the creamer case. Right. But I'd never gone to the grocery store to buy food for myself. And I went down, I bought some peanut butter and I went down the aisle. I was like, raspberry jam, raspberry jam. And I got to that aisle and it was like, raspberry jam is $2 and 75 cents. That's insane. <laughs> but grape jelly is like 40 cents or 60 cents or something. Yeah. And so I said, well, that's, you know, well, they're essentially equivalent. And I bought the grape jelly. And let me tell you, that sandwich, you're thinking that I'm going to tell this story where that sandwich was ambrosia because it was the first sandwich I ever bought and I was eating it in my first apartment. But no, that sandwich was gross. <laughs> grape jelly on some cheap bread with the cheapest peanut butter. I was like, is this what adulthood is? You buy gross food because you're poor? Right. I was, I was pretty shocked by it. But, you know, my mom always, always snuck the fact that we were poor past us by, by making peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Oh, yeah. See, no, you, but the thing is, you're, <laughs> o- you're open to all these variations. You're totally cool with these things. Why not try putting a little bit of fluff on there? Here's what fluff is good for. I'm just going to come right out. Have you say- ever had it? Have you ever tried it? Here's what fluff is good for, Dan. There's one thing it's good for, one thing only, and that is making Rice Krispie treats. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Hmm? yeah. The one thing that you should use marshmallow fluff for is Rice Krispie treats. And in Rice Krispie treats, fluff is, that's what God made fluff for. There's no other use for it unless it's to like spackle some leak you have in a, in a levee. But here you are, you know, very much as I, as I've known you over the last couple of years, very much 
an omnivore, someone who enjoys eating all kinds of food, especially meat. Let's call it an Epicurean. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, you're, you're talking to me now about making this drastic dietary change that you did for th- what sounds like at, like at least a week. Mm-hmm. You do it, you weaken yourself, you weaken your immune system, you get a cold from it. <laughs> and, I think I got a cold from going off of it. Mm, possible. My suspicion, my suspicion is that I ate that macaroni and cheese with hamburger in it, and my body was like, you, you know what? You hate yourself. Possible. And I'm going to get as sick as I can right now to punish you. Very possible. But yeah. I mean, you'll try something as extreme as what would seem to a lot of people extreme as, as veganism. Yeah. But you won't take a bite of a, of a fluff or nutter? No, because, listen, if you are in Bilbao and some Basque separatists who are living in an old youth center uh-huh. up in the mountains uh, sit you down at a table and bring you tra- like cookie tray after cookie tray covered with like flash-baked sardines, and you don't eat those sardines with relish, then you are... A crazy person. Mm-hmm. But if somebody motors up to you on a rascal scooter in Birmingham, Alabama, and hands you a fluffer nutter, well, I guess in those circumstances, yes, I would eat I would eat the fluffer nutter. Because it would be like, here I am in a Walmart parking lot, guy in a cowboy hat and a rascal scooter is handing me his regional delicacy. I'll do it. But to sit here in my own home and consider a fluffernutter, you know, like la- last year, you sent your minions to surround me at the XOXO festival. Yes, and they had fluffernutters. They had a, they had them hidden all over the campus. Yes, this is true. There were fluffernutters in we the were, trees. We were trying to get you to just try it. it. Was one of those things where they were like in that scene from Dog Day Afternoon. Somebody <laughs> would pound the side of their uh, of their. <laughs> Armrest, right. the door would pop open, but instead of a pistol, it would be a fluffernutter. Right. But I, ev- I evaded them. It's not that I avoided them. I evaded them. Right. Because a fluffernutter in Portland, I don't know. Uh, maybe, if, maybe if some kids in Portland with handlebar mustaches opened an artisanal fluffernutter mm-hmm, store. Mm-hmm. So, no, it would be a food truck, right? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> a food truck of all the, like, of all the Midwestern... Um, mobile home park food. Well, I don't know. You're going to have to catch me at a weak moment. I think it's still possible. I think it's still possible. All right. All right. But I'm not going to pursue it. I got it. Yeah. We would like to thank Wealthfront, the automated investment service with nearly $3 billion in client assets under management. If you're like me, I suspect if you're, if you're like John, you don't really enjoy the whole concept of like, wow, I want to go and like spend all day picking index funds and managing my investments. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that at all. What I want to do is I want to chuck some money into a bucket and know that people who are smarter than me and systems that have much, much better algorithms than anyone and anywhere uh, are going to be able to put together uh, an investment plan and package for me and reinvest my money. And that's exactly what Wealthfront does. Wealthfront's not for like short term, like 
market timing traders like day traders that's the opposite of what they do clients are going to hire wealthfront to manage their money and they can throw some money into a bucket whether it's a little bit or a whole lot and they're going to reinvest it and they're going to do it in a way that saves you money on your investment taxes i mean they don't care if you have a small account or if you have a big account that's the whole thing that makes them awesome usually to get access to this kind of wealth management you need to invest like a million bucks And you're going to have to spend uh, more than 1% per year with these managers who manage this stuff. That doesn't sound like a lot, but trust me, it really adds up. Wealthfront clients, no commissions, no any other type of fees. The only fee the client, that's us, ever pays is a 0.25% advisory fee. That's a quarter of what you're going to pay somewhere else. And, uh, And their clients range from 500 bucks over 10 million, but the average is in, has invested with them about 60,000 bucks. This is something you could probably really take advantage of. And there's a special URL to go to. Go to wealthfront.com slash five by five. Again, wealthfront.com slash five by five. And uh, they'll hook you up with a special deal. The first $15,000 you invest will be entirely free of charge for life. That means, in addition to never paying commissions or any hidden fees, you won't pay any management fees on your first 15k go check it out wealthfront.com slash five by five so what did you what do you feel do you feel like you're going to kind of stick with the uh the 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 vegan lifestyle is it something that you think you're you're like had benefits enough that you might kind of tend toward that now well i can't stick with it because since you know since sunday Monday, Monday morning was my last sort of vegan breakfast. And then that afternoon I went to dim sum and I didn't get any pork. I only ate the shrimp dim sum. But let's be honest, dim sum is really just a salt delivery vehicle. (laughs) And I realized that in my, in my week long experiment, I also was not eating a ton of salt. Good. That's good for you. So I start I'm just gorging on these little dumplings, and then all of a sudden I felt the salt just leaching the mm-hmm. vitamins out of my body. Seriously, and then I just and then I just basically tumbled down the staircase, and now I'm here at the bottom. I don't know what to eat, so I can't really say that I'm going to stick to it. But yeah. you know, this is the crazy thing, Dan. When I when I went gluten free a couple of years ago, I never felt better, and I. And I, I maintained it for half a year. You know, I even went on, I went on the Jesse Thorne uh, Sound of Young America cruise. Mm-hmm. I'm on a cruise where they're just shooting garbage food at you through, a, through like a, <laughs> some kind of HVAC pipe. <laughs> and right. I maintained my dignity through the whole cruise. No desserts, no... Wow, that's you know, saying just, something right there. Oh, yeah, I was in the light, Dan. I was in a beam of, of light. Wow. I made it all the way to like January. And then I started with that insanity, that little bit of like, oh, Saturday's a cheat day. And then pretty soon Saturday began Friday night. Saturday is sort of a Friday night to Saturday night kind of thing. Not 24 hours. Let's call it 30 hours. And then it you know, sort of Friday night to Sunday night. Let's just call it a cheat weekend. Mm. And then 
<coughs> the wheels came off of my El Camino and I was just on the side of the road, just back to eating garbage. And I, and I was doing it even knowing how good it had felt. And so now I've, now I've had my eyes opened by this, this vegan diet. And, and not only did I feel good, but I didn't, I didn't even crave food. It was like a, it was some kind of transformative yeah, you thing. you moved like, into an altered state. I could be over here. I could just eat Soylent Ugh. and spend every lunch hour at a museum. But, but I, you know, I fell off it so fast. I have, and I fell off it so fast and I feel so terrible now, but I don't know how to master my, the, the little, the little devil I got the little angel on the left shoulder and the little devil on the right shoulder. And I'm right-handed. You know what I mean? Yeah, I sure do. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm at a crossroads. It seems like, how am I going to live? What are, how, what am I going to choose, Dan? Right. You're like at a, at a existential fork in the road. Yeah. What, what kind of person am I going to be? And I, and I, and I have not, I haven't thought this far in advance. I mean, I just want to, I love food. I like to eat good food. I just want all food to be good and healthy for you and not have to make these these awful choices Mm. where it's like, this is delicious and wonderful. And this is less delicious. I don't like this idea that that the thing, some things are more virtuous. Why does, why does food have to come you know, come laden with all this virtue or vice. I, I mean, I know exactly what you mean. And and one of the things that I've been doing recently is just trying to reduce how much salt mm-hmm. I eat on a, a daily basis. Because if you actually sit down and think about it, and I'm thinking about this now, cause you, you know, you mentioned it. It's like we eat as Americans, but as, you know, just human being modern, the modern human in general is consuming a heck of a lot of salt, like a lot. And oh, yeah. it, it's so easy to, I mean, you can't eat out at a restaurant without consuming a crazy, crazy amount of sodium. Well, salt and fat, right? They pollute, they yeah. pollute everything. Well, now we're, now this is turning into some kind of, some kind of weird, uh, health program. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like we should get sponsored by goop or whatever that website is. It's not called goop goop. Well, what's, what's the one, (laughs) what's the one, uh, uh, the lifestyle website that is, uh, promoted by the actress who is mayor, who is Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, that is goop. Goop? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want this to be a goop branded podcast. Although you could reach out to them, see if they'll sponsor the show. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Um, High performance skincare made with organic ingredients. See, that's what I need. Well, the, the, one of the additional problems, though, Dan, is that I don't have a regular schedule, right? And so I, you've got to have you've got to get into a regular schedule. You, yeah. I need, I need for this to happen. If I was on a regular regular schedule where I did the same things more or less every day, then I think I, it would be much easier to be to follow a diet plan. Because I'd be able to look into the future a little bit and say, lunch is coming today and I need to, I need to be prepared for lunch. But, in, but instead I live in, I live this scattershot existence where I don't real I'm not thinking about lunch until boom, I need to get some food. And that kind of, 
decision making where you're just like, oh, no, I'm already hungry and ready and must find food. You're like, you're like frantic. You're like in a, in a scrambling mode. Yeah. I'm not thinking about, oh, well, I better go get the, you know, the vegan option because I'm already, you know, when the starving, when the idea of food pops into my head, it's like that cartoon where it's all of a sudden it's a giant turkey leg. Like right, looking, you, you look at the person sitting next to you, and there's the they sort of morph into the the hamburger next to you. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's like I have this. I'm I'm like wimpy in the in the Popeye <laughs> cartoons, where it's just like mm, every, uh, everything looks like a hamburger now. Right. <clears throat> the one, my one saving grace is that that every month a new study comes out that says coffee is good for you. Yes, and. And every single one of those, I want to celebrate all science, right? I want to put, I want to take scientists and put them up on my shoulders and walk through town with confetti, like, you know, ticker ticker tape parade, ticker tape parade, uh, because they keep saying that coffee is good for you. And, and all those, all those studies that say a little bit of red wine every day is good for you. I got no beef with that. Sure. Let the red wine drinkers, you know, let the French live to be a hundred. But they, they keep saying, they keep saying, and the latest one said, we, we have not been able to find a limit to the amount of coffee that you can drink in a day that continues to be good for you. I read that. And I was like, God bless you. God bless you, science. Yes, this, I, if, if I'm talking about, if you're talking about the same one that I read, and I'm going to find this, I think it was in the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good news, it's totally fine to drink lots and lots of coffee. The government mm-hmm. just said so. Uh, thank the, you, the, government the, scientists. The, the 2015 guideline said up to five cups a day. And now they're saying, forget that. Unlimited, basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. read the article for yourself. But yeah. uh, they're saying that consuming as many as five cups was associated with health benefits, reduced risk of heart disease and type 2 diabetes. Yeah. No one can eat 50 eggs, but I can drink oh, 50 cups of coffee. I bet. And uh, so that, that, if it weren't for that, if I had to choose between, if, if I had to think of coffee as a vice and choose something virtuous, yeah. like, like mate uh-huh. or, or herbal buena uh-huh. or uh, kombucha or something, right? I would just, I don't know what I would do. I'd fall on my sword. But at least I have that one. I mean, and coffee is clearly a vice, right? I mean, I I pursue it, I imbibe it at, at, with the with the same like enthusiasm and alacrity that I take any drug, right? I mean, I'll, I'll I, I I go after that coffee like like any kind of addict. So let's oh, yeah. not kid around that it is that it's a vice by any other name. But they keep saying that it's good. And so it's just like, oh, God bless you. It kills my pain. I am, so I am in, in the same exact situation <coughs> with you uh, when it comes to the coffee stuff. And it, it, I remember back in like college, that's when I kind of, you know, flipped the bit on, on coffee and went from like, oh, I might have some to this. Is, I now need this. Just to feel like me, I need it to function. 
And over the years, I would try and, you know, cut back or reduce it or take a break from it. And I would always come back to it. And it got real bad when my son was born, uh, I guess this was like eight years ago. And we got a, a Keurig because that way it's almost, it's, it's like a crack pipe for coffee. You want, you want coffee right now? Like you hit a button and it's right there. And you know what? No, like I know it's not as good as it's going to be at the local coffee shop who was roasting their own beans. And I absolutely appreciate all of that. And there was many years where I would turn my nose up at coffee that like, oh, that came from like a can. Like you've got to be kidding me. You know, you just cafe. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And had to be fresh roasted and it had to be ordered from somewhere in Seattle. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so the idea of, of the, the creature that I had become just slurping down, you know, Keurig cups, mm-hmm. I, I was horrified, but I didn't care. I mean, I, I kept doing it, but it got to the point where like, don't even talk to me. Don't speak to me. Don't let me hear the sound of a, of a voice until I've had the two cups of coffee. The first mm. cup of coffee was the medicine that I needed to enjoy the second cup of coffee, mm. which was the stabilizer that I still needed to just be functional. And after the mm. two cups of coffee, I, I was good. You know, I might have a third one later and mm. I would try to cut myself off before it got to be like mid afternoon. So I would, I would sleep because mm-hmm. I'm. Cody's- do you sleep in the mid afternoons? No, I mean, so I, I would be able to sleep at night. Oh, I get you. I you know, you. like if I had coffee after you two or three in the afternoon, it would stay with me, and then I wouldn't, I wouldn't fall asleep. I, like, I'm, yeah, you're, I'm, you're an old man now. I was like that. All, I've always been like that, and that's the crazy thing. Like, I've always been kind of caffeine sensitive, but I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, and I think we talked about this a little that I had gotten sick, and during the sickness, I had wound up not really drinking coffee, and when I came out of the sickness. I was drinking tea and I said, you know, I'm just going to keep drinking tea. I drink tea now in the morning. I drink Earl, Earl Grey tea in the morning. I let it steep for, I don't know, 10 minutes to make it strong enough. But it's, it's, it has like the, the way that the, that I get the caffeine from it is different. And I'll tell you what, nothing about it is, is satisfying. It tastes Mm -hmm. fine. It tastes fine. Yeah, but it's it doesn't like I don't feel like me. I've do you, me. Do you put milk in it? No. Oh, I see. Me is at least one or two cups of coffee. Like that's how I, I feel like myself. But when that's you the tell, damn Benjamin that people tune in to hear, I think yeah. But yeah. here's the problem with that is I'm like you in that like I don't I don't really have that much of of an addictive personality per se. That's not like me. But when it comes to coffee and anything with like nicotine in it, Ooh. if I start down that path, like forget it. Now I'm, 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 I'm there. Yeah. I'm not, you know, like I'm not going to be one of the, like when I, you remember when cigars like became really popular Ugh. and I got into cigars. I learned everything I could learn about them. I would like meet the people who were like, representative of the brands and i talked to people who like ran the factories like i got really into it i had a blog about it i was i was like hardcore into it and you i was had a blog about cigars yes yes Ooh, i was so boy. into and it's like i wouldn't have one a week 
I would have two a day, you know, and that's not even that many compared to the people who really enjoyed it. But that wasn't long lived because I said, this is getting out of hand. I had to stop, had to completely stop, completely yeah. stop. And it's Did the same. Did you ever chew tobacco, Dan? No way. No. Right. Of course. No, that's never, gross. Never. That's no. No, 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 no. horrible. No, it's awful. Shame on you. No, no, it's terrible. I would never advocate it. Never. But. So like I, but I love the cigars. I love the, oh, this one has, you know, like this one has a Dominican wrapper and the binders from Honduras and the filler oh. is from here, or this is, oh, a, this is a Puro and this, what, and like I was into every, I was all that box pressed. Yeah. Oh, box press. Box press. Nothing oh, as good on. as a Padron 1964 Anniversario box press. I mean, oh my God, the best. I'm salivating. It's the best. Yeah. But like, no, I can't do it because I don't, then I don't have a limit. All of a sudden. Now I, you know, I'm having all this and that's how it is like with the coffee. And I, I hate that feeling of like waking up in the morning and we talked about this a few shows ago and just like, you know, I'm, I'm going to destroy anyone or anything that's between me and the Keurig. Dan the destroyer. Yeah. And you don't want, you don't want to see that, but I miss the Dan who I knew so well for 20 some 30 years mm-hmm. the caffeinated the truly caffeinated dan because now by the time I, I i get into to do some work at you know in, in the morning i'm like ah i'll just make another cup of tea i don't know you know like it did that that the 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 spice of life is is not there without caffeine the same way. you've neutered yourself why what happened well, i didn't go don't go that far i mean you're just you're half calf dan now i am instead of full calf dan yeah but I'm worried if I start back on it. Yeah. I could, if I wake up tomorrow morning and have a cup of coffee tomorrow morning, that's forget it. Now I'm back on it. Where's the coffee? Bring it on. Yeah. You're I'm on having the just coffee one. Train. Yeah. You're on the coffee train like Harrison Ford and, uh, and his little friend uh, going down into the mines of Moria <laughs> yeah. in that uh, terrible, terrible Indiana Jones movie that is just the worst. That's the one with um, uh, Temple. You're talking about Temple of Doom? Oh, don't even don't even say the words. You don't like Temple of Doom? Temple of Doom. Come on, they they gave they gave uh, they gave Indiana Jones like a Scrappy Doo character that just I mean Scrappy Doo. But uh, Kate like, Kate Capshaw Kate Kate Capshaw is a knockout in that film. Yeah, yeah. That that's whole just, that's that's the James Bond theory of like put a put a attractive former model in uh, in the movie and we're all supposed to. We're all supposed to ignore the fact that the plot is garbage. You know what? I'll tell, I'll tell you what. Find a better movie opening than Kate Capshaw singing Anything Goes in Mandarin. Mm-hmm. I challenge you, sir. What about Star Wars episode whichever? <laughs> Star Wars, the first Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars episode 42, where the, <laughs> where the big <laughs> ship comes over. Blah. That's very cool. It was very impressive to me as a four or five year old in, in the theater. That's a great movie opening. It really is. And I can't, you're right. But I'll tell you what, for the about to be prepubescent, you know, child of me in the theater, <laughs> 1984. That's the difference. That's the difference between you and me. Cause in 1984, I was fully pubescent. Yeah. And all I could, all I could see was that this was a dumb movie. You didn't even see Kate Capshaw in the beginning running around. I didn't even see it. I didn't even see it because I was so convinced that it was a dumb movie because <laughs> because of the, my experience of Scrappy-Doo, right? I was a big <laughs> Scooby-Doo fan. Sure. 
And, you know, Scooby-Doo was one of the great cartoons. And every week, Daphne solved some mystery while the rest of them bumbled around. And, you know, Scooby and Shaggy were like, zoinks! And it was great. <laughs> Didn't need to mess with the formula. No. And then somebody, during that era of like, why don't we get a cute kid in here? You remember on Happy Days when they brought the little blonde kid with uh, the big sun, the big glasses yes. and looked like John Denver yes. into the show? It's like, oh, the, show, the ratings are declining. Let's get some dingling little little baby, basically. Because uh-huh. people love babies. People love smart talking. <sighs> and so all of a sudden, Scrappy-Doo appears on the scene, which no, it's solving a problem that nobody noticed, right? It's something nobody asked for. Here's this little annoying, like adenoidal little, little thing that doesn't even look like it's drawn <laughs> by the same anime as the rest of the show. Yeah. And it was like, I gotta, I gotta stop watching this now. I can't watch happy days anymore. I don't want to watch Joni loves Chachi. No, like the only, uh, and then that was, you know, that was a trope. Like you could even argue that Will Wheaton's character on next generation was like a little bit of a, it's like Dookie Hauser. Yeah, no, I, I was not a fan of, of, uh, him at all. And I mean him as an actor, sure, but no, and uh, you know what? And uh, yes, I think, I think star Wars has the perhaps best and most iconic opening of, of a movie that I've seen in, in, my life up there would be, I mean, I could, I think you could put 2001 up there. Oh, absolutely. You know, but that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about, we are talking about going down in the tunnels, going down in the tunnels with the little urchin, yes. the little smart talking Short round urchin, as he's called hat, his baseball hat on sideways, who is a racist. Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, totally the worst. Yeah. Totally the worst. That I'll, movie I'll agree. Be, yeah. It should be put in some pantheon of, Bad movies, bad racist movies that nobody realized was or was racist at the time. <laughs> right, which just makes it <laughs> ten times worse. Oh, well, so bad. I, I, you know, I would have walked out of the theater, except at that point in my life, I couldn't have, I couldn't spare the two seventy five or whatever it was that you paid. I think I might have even gone out and played Space Invaders in the lobby rather than, rather than sit through that abortion. But you know, I've only walked out of two two movies in my whole life. What were they? Willow. Okay. And Teen Wolf 2. Wow, you went to see Teen Wolf 2. I, re- regrettably, I did. I'm, I'm almost too embarrassed to admit it. But uh, Willow, yeah. Of, now, what was Willow? Was that, did that star David Bowie? <laughs> no, that's Labyrinth, which, oh. which was, uh, was a strange, strange movie. Willow is a 1988 film directed by Ron Howard... Story by George Lucas. It had Val Kilmer in it. This all sounds pretty good so far. Well, I so don't recommend happened? it. Val Kilmer was in Short Circuit, and that was hilarious. <laughs> was he? Was he? Yeah. Who was he in that? Wasn't he in Short Circuit? Short Circuit, the no disassemble Stephanie Short Circuit with the robot that got zapped by electricity and the, had the treads, yeah. the tank treads. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> wasn't Val Kilmer in that? That's, that's I'm, I'm gonna look it up. This is something that you should look up because I my my memory is that Val Kilmer was the was the like smart talking hero of Short Circuit. I thought it was the guy from uh, the Police Academy movies. Let's see here. Well, he he was in it too, but like not, Short not Circuit. Like- Short Circuit stars Ali Sheedy, Steve Gutenberg. Right. That's what I was thinking of. Fisher Stevens, Austin Pendleton, G.W. Bailey, 
and Tim Blaney as the voice of the robot, Johnny Five. What? No, okay, so it's not that, but wasn't Val Kilmer in one of those, like, here's a bunch of genius kids that are inventing some uh, kind of... <laughs> yes. Some kind of robot the, or something? The, it, it, lasers, which are a young science. Do you want to know the name of the movie? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Do you want to try and... Mm, no. And guess it? No. Science, science kids? No. No. <laughs> science yeah. science kids science kids <laughs> do you want to go with that no no i want to know the real name <laughs> real genius real genius <laughs> that's the one i was thinking about val kilmer was great at or or science kids. science kids <laughs> i mean there are, that's that's one of the that's one of the uh that's uh, one of these types of movies right uh-huh. that they, they don't really make as many of them anymore but in the 80s they made a lot of science kids movies. Weird Science. Now that was a great movie. Weird now, Science well is fantastic. Science kids. <laughs> yes. Science kids. <laughs> Does that movie hold up? Have you seen it recently? Bits and pieces. I am bits and pieces. I am. Uh, I cannot imagine it holds up. I mean, at the time, I did not understand the appeal of Kelly LeBrock. Really. Well, because she just wasn't my type, right? I didn't like the I didn't like these uh, big uh, big like Amazonian women. I I I was more of a um, was she Amazonian? She's I mean at least at least the camera angles uh, the camera angles in that film she seemed pretty Amazonian. Okay. I was a more of a Winona Ryder person, right? Winona like Winona Ryder, Winona Ryder in in Heather's or yeah. Winona yeah okay. I'll I mean, go along not, with that. Winona Ryder never, never stood in a smoke, smoky sort of smoke clad thing in a, in a bathing suit with her hair being blown by a fan. Yeah. Right. Winona Ryder was always Nobody's perfect around in a big, in a coat that looked like a sleeping bag with armholes cut in it, <laughs> just sort of looking depressed and, and uh, sardonic. And that was much more my, my, my uh, trigger. But now that I'm full grown, I look at Kelly the Brock and I go, Oh, she's a very handsome woman. Sure. So I, I came, I came full circle, but I do not imagine. I, I, I cannot think that many of those movies hold up. Although I, I still will go to bat for uh, breakfast club every, every day of the week. Oh yeah. Like pretty in pink again, full of racist caricatures. Uh, oh yeah, you're right. Isn't it? And the whole movie is sort of, built around a date rape. I mean, it's just, there's none of it that's good, uh, except for John Cusack, right? John Cusack's debut. But, uh, so pretty and pink, you can't get behind. And, um, you know, what's weird is oh, now no, 16 candles, that's 16, 16 candles. candles, pretty and pink represented pretty. the debut of, uh, what, what was the villain's name in pretty and pink? Mm. Some, uh, some yeah, give me a second. Give me a second. Yeah, the guy, and he's name. He's got the like long blonde hair. Hold on, I'm not, just not too long. Not too long. But he was just like, oh, he's so smug and so yeah. he's such a caricature of a, like a rich James suburb. Spader. James Spader. Yeah. So James Spader came on the scene, and all of a sudden, this is pre Kiefer Sutherland. Right. All of a sudden, there was an actor, a Hollywood actor, that people said I resembled. And so <laughs> and that was James Spader. 
So here I was, you know, in high school, <laughs> and people were like, "You really look like James Spader." Wow. And, <clears throat> or they would say, "You remind me of James Spader," and I couldn't tell whether it was an insult because I was fairly smug, or whether it was a compliment because I looked like a Hollywood actor. Did you wear glasses or no glasses? Yeah, big, big round, big yeah, round. I'm looking uh, at a picture of him right now that I think I will send you in, in, uh, in chat, in the chat. Yeah. Big round tortoise shell glasses. That was sort of my, my, my signature look even before they became really popular glasses and everybody had them. Yeah. I was one, I was the first kid in my high school to have those big round tortoise shell glasses. And I thought that that was my look. And then when everybody started getting those, it was another one of these things. We talk about it all the time where I was like, why is everybody wearing tortoise shell you're on tortoise shell glasses now. <laughs> That's and yours. Problem, problem was I was just a year ahead of it. And most people don't respect when someone carves out some turf for themselves. Right. And then that turf becomes popular. They don't respect the, the, the pioneer, right? They don't say, Oh, there's this, these, these fur trappers went out to Oregon territory. That should be theirs. No, they say, Hey, I'm headed out to Oregon territory too. Well, I'm just saying that as far as big round tortoiseshell glasses go, I was the, I was the Hudson Bay company of them. <laughs> and now, you know, there's monorails out here and it's just, everybody's, everybody came. But so anyway, he, James Spader was, uh, I was, I, he was my reluctant touchstone in the movie land and until Val Kilmer came along and then people were like, you look like Val Kilmer. And I knew that I didn't, but I was, I was pleased because Val Kilmer was fairly, I'm, I'm sorry, not Val Kilmer. Why? I'm all confused. Kiefer Sutherland. When people said, you look like Kiefer Sutherland, I accepted it. I accepted it even though I knew I didn't look like Kiefer Sutherland. I accepted it because I felt like he was an attractive movie star. And that was... That was pleasing to me. You're talking Kiefer like Lost Boys time period? Yeah, right. Kiefer, you know, right when he was first. Or more like Young Guns. Young Guns, Kiefer Sutherland. Okay. Boy, talk about a horrible movie. Yeah. Isn't that the one with Regulators? Is that that one? I don't know. I can't remember anything about it. You know, the only, I've, I've walked out of two movies, too. <laughs> what are they? The first one was... Uh, Dick Tracy starring Madonna. Oh God, you see, that's when I would say you went to see that. <laughs> I went to see it. I went to see it. I was smoking a lot of pot then, and oh, I yeah. smoked some pot, and I went to see this movie, and it was something about you know a lot of the time you smoke pot and you can go watch some garbage, and you're just like, this is amazing. <laughs> but sometimes you smoke pot and you can see through walls a little bit. Mm. And I sat down in this movie, and they came on screen in their dumb costumes, and I was like, this is garbage and i i i tried i tried i spent 10 or 15 minutes in there <clears throat> and i realized that you know that going out and playing elevator action in the lobby was going to be a better use of my time than sitting through this movie and i think i probably went into the next theater and saw some other thing oh that couldn't, was a fun thing to do back in the day yeah, couldn't endure it. oh yeah you'd go into the movie you'd pay for one you'd, you'd watch four movies stay there all afternoon or, you know, just stay and watch the movie again. You know, thinking back, and I'm looking at some of these pictures right now, Ali Sheedy in Breakfast Club was really the hot one, wasn't she? The Before her makeover, wow. Ali Sheedy. 
think about Ali Sheedy in War Games. Yeah. Ali Sheedy in War Games, even, even all the other stuff in War Games, Matthew Broderick, the great hero of our time. Right, box office point. <laughs> uh, Dabney Coleman. Right. Right, the ultimate Dabney Coleman. Yes. The idea that you could hack into the into the mainframe, the idea that you would be you'd be in the strategic air command underground bunker, all these wonderful things that all I wanted was That's all I wanted to do. All I wanted was to be that guy. But the number one reason I wanted to be Matthew Broderick was because Ali Sheedy. Right? I couldn't even believe that you could well, first of all, the most implausible thing is that she liked him, right? Right. He was like, I'm doing my computer. Don't bother me. Right. She, like the idea that, that Ali Sheedy's into you and you're like, well, look, let me show you my computer. Hey, why don't you come back and take a look at my computer and then actually show her the computer? Like, no, I would so quickly have flipped the computer off the desk. And well, not me. I wouldn't have even gotten to the point of saying, <laughs> come back and look at my computer. And <laughs> I operated under the delusion all the way through high school that Ali Sheedy at one point was going to come along and, and express an interest in me. And it, and as far as I can tell, it never happened. It may have happened. And I was just blind to it because I was, I don't know, because I was inner music, man. It was such a, a dip, but, uh, but yeah, that was, boy, that movie was remember her in her, in her little, uh, like workout clothes or leotard. No, I don't remember that. I'm sending I'm sh- you these pictures in your in the chat. But the problem with Ali Sheedy and Breakfast Club was not that she was unattractive, but that she was clearly a, a handful, like too much, too much of a handful. I mean, I thought the dandruff snow was pretty great. All the, you know, all the weird <laughs> nail biting, eating sugar, straight sugar, all that stuff. It was just like, mm, no, I know some people like that. That's not that. That's not my. Uh, not your thing. <laughs> well, and she's never, I mean, they, they, they set it up like she and the, and the jock are going to like, because they give her a makeover and now she's pretty. And the jock is like, what? And they, you know, and then they all of a sudden are in a romance. That's going to last exactly until the end of that day. Right. Because he's going to realize that they're just, they got nothing. They got nothing in common just because she's pretty. Isn't going to, that's not going to solve that problem. I don't know that, but, but still that's that, that movie is still in the, in the, uh, that's in the time capsule, right? I'm going to, even though I increasingly know that it is not going to, it's not going to work. I, I have this little box set of things to show my kid to say this, these were the movies of my era. This, whether it's true or not, this is what it felt like to be in high school at the time. <laughs> when breakfast club came out i was what a junior in high school maybe even it came out my senior year and we so identified with that movie it just felt like this is us now oh absolutely even for, i'm i think we figured i was like two years younger than you and the don't forget about me you know the the, the music that was the, you know how every class had like its senior class had like its song. That was like the year before mine. Cause I was a junior, I think when that movie came out. Hmm, I don't think that that's possible because I was still in high school. And if you're two years behind me, so I was a sophomore, I guess so. Okay. Well, somehow that was the class 
this class song be, for the year before ours. Mm-hmm. That was the song that they. Well, that seems plausible. That song, but that we song didn't get to around. use it. We didn't get to use it. Well, because it was so influential, even even after it wasn't on the charts anymore. You know, I, I think I think it's reasonable to think that a class would have picked it as their emblem. Yeah, we had a real problem in my senior class, which was that normally in high school. All that stuff, yearbook and cheer squad and and DECA and the senior ball and the class song, all of that falls to the, the what, what, what we in my high school called the socias, right? That's the socias. That's just the soch uh, landscape. They're going to, the soch, the soch girls are going to pick the class song. The socias are going to run the. They're going to be the the royalty for junior prom, you know. They're they're kind of the sportos plus the cheerleaders plus the, you know, the people with their collars flip popped or whatever. Like that's normally their purview. But in my class, there was this. Um, there was kind of an insurrection um, because my group of friends. Uh, who were derisively called the conserves <laughs> right? by the socias. And the socias self-identified as socias. That was not a thing that we, we didn't, my, my friends never would have thought to call them socias. Um, but they, they self-identified as socias and described us as the conserves, meaning that we were taking college prep classes. We were not, necessarily having sex with one another um we were straight laced buttoned down nerds but somehow in my um my year in particular and it and it and it reflected to the to the class below us and maybe even a little bit to the class below that but we sort of took over a lot of the functions we like intentionally took over. We moved out of student Congress and the tennis and cross country running um, spheres, which is normally where the conserves spend their time, right? The math club and the right, right. honor society. And we decided that we were going to sort of try and take over senior ball and, and uh, never yearbook, right? It, it was always the distinction between like yearbook was for socias and newspaper was for conserves. All right. I can, I can and, see that. Right. And we never, we never bothered over a yearbook. And that, and the problem with that is when you look at the yearbook, it's clearly made by the socias, right? That's it's uh, it celebrates socias at the expense of conserves. But so we got into this, we got into this parliamentary battle because the conserves put forth the proposal that our senior ball theme be Love Me Do (laughs) by the Beatles. (laughs) That's crazy. And the socias were appalled because they wanted it to be Luther Vandal. Right, they wanted it to be Luther Vandross or some some kind of song that no one even remembers anymore, 
But that at the time was like, love, baby. Ooh, and so <laughs> we weren't even normal. Conserves weren't, weren't even normally in the meetings where they were, where they were planning on how they were going to put the bunting up and what color of the balloons right. were going to be for senior ball. But all of a sudden this meeting is full of all these nerds in, in crew neck sweaters saying, we want it to be love me do. What are you going to do about it? And we had, you know, we obviously we knew Robert's rules of order better than they did. And we sort of pushed this through where we achieved our goal. I think we put it up maybe to a, a, a vote of the whole senior class. And we, we gerrymandered it in such a way that love me do was going to be our senior ball theme. <laughs> and then on the night of senior ball, when it came time for the, the big dance, the big, uh, like the, the showcase spotlight dance. Oh, right, right, right. Luther Vandross comes <gasps> on because the conserves had, because we had won the vote and had, had followed all the, the, um, you know, all of our parliamentary procedure. We, uh, we let our guard down. We thought we had won. It was clear we had won the vote, but it was the Sochas that were up there. The, the Sochas had hired the DJ. The Sochas had explained what they, what, what was going to happen. The Sochas were running the show. And so they played this Luther Randross song and we were aghast and we're, you know, we're standing there on the dance floor, raising our fingers in protest here, here, you know, I object and so forth. And then they played Love Me Do right after mm. to mollify us. But no. they had won. They, the socials had won the victory. That was, <clears throat> that was the intrigue. How do you spell socials? Well, this was, so this was a matter of some contention at the time, <laughs> right? Because, and also within the socials, the, 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 the main seven, guys who comprised the core group of dudes, social dudes who typically had, had severe mullets wore gray cowboy boots under their heavily bleached Levi's and, uh, were just, and, and drove like Chevy stepside pickups. I mean, they were just appalling. That core group of about seven dudes called themselves the Brat Pack. No. Yeah, no, the Brat Pack. Yes, no. they did. They called themselves the Brat Pack. And the number one guy in that group, whose driver's license I still have, by the way, because I stole it at a party, he drove a 1955 Chevy, totally restored, with a license plate that was T-H-X-D-A-D. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad, for my 55 Chevy. No. And I'm absolutely sure that that license plate was procured for him by his father. Oh, Thanks, yeah. Dad. I mean, a total shame mobile, but he had no shame because in addition to the 55 Chevy, he also had a brand new Chevy Stepside <laughs> with glass packs and two you know, two uh, exhausts and I was riding to school on a Vespa wearing a trench coat that had a skull and crossbones on the back that was, that was painted on with whiteout. 
we were we couldn't have been from two different two more different no kidding. But, but so they 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 called themselves the brat pack to such an extent that when they went skiing one time i was on the lift and here they come underneath and they're shouting brat pack as they're skiing down the hill no i don't like any of this my entire high school was literally a john hughes movie <laughs> that never got made right <laughs> right no one ever thought to write the story of the conserves versus the socias. And the conserves were like, in addition to being square, we were also quirky a lot. We were square and quirky, right? We were the, we were the, we were the, the, the characters, the two characters, we were like Judd Nelson plus, um, what's his name? Michael, um, uh, what's his, what's his, but the nerdy one, which one? Breakfast Club. The nerdy one in Breakfast Club. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Anthony Mike, Michael Hall. Anthony, Anthony Michael Hall, yeah. You could take Anthony Michael Hall and Judd Nelson and combine them. The <laughs> conserves were some combination of the two. You know, right. smart talking. So I was the more on the Judd Nelson side, and most of them were Anthony Michael Hall, let's be honest. And the, and the Soch dudes were all exactly sort of like the, like the um, wrestler. Um, Sheen, yeah, or uh, no, 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 uh, not Sheen. The um, es- yeah, 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 Sheen. Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez. Win, <laughs> win, 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 win. That's right. That's what you you know. Like your dad is, your dad is out there not giving yet. He's like he gave you a fifty-five Chevy, but he's not. You know, he wants that hockey team to. He wants you to score a hat trick. Yeah. Anyway, there was a lot of intrigue in my high school. Seriously, this and, is crazy. Uh, well, it was very crazy. And, you know, the socials were all, of course, having sex with each other. That was, the, that was the primary difference. They were unabashedly sexual. And we were all very, very uh, reticent. You know, we were dating one another and giving one another sort of weird pawing kisses. <laughs> we were very, very late to the you know, to even getting to third base. And then when we did, it was, it was very important that you kept that kind of a secret kind of on the down low, partly because you didn't, you know, partly because the girls in our clique did not want to have their reputations compromised and sort of, it was, you know, it was, it was the girls that, that sort of ran the show. Right. Whereas on the social side, you know, promiscuity was kind of, you know, kind of a badge of honor. So it was, uh, boy, I still, there's a lot of that stuff. I still haven't lived down. If I, uh, periodically I daydream about, uh, going back to, I mean, I'm sure this is very common going back to first day of freshman year with what I know now. Oh yeah. And how I would, you know, how I would stealth, and, and to what end, I have no idea. Well, uh, what I probably should do is go back to freshman year and just do my homework and get good grades. Go to the college of my choice. But instead, I want to go back and, and sort of be a little Machiavelli and, and pit all these different student groups against one another and come out, of, come out at the end standing atop the smoking ruin of my high school. That's very Heathers of you. Yeah, that seems a little bit weird, actually, the more I... More I talk about it, I'm 47 years old. Well, we never <laughs> stop thinking about this kind of thing, though, do we? <clears throat> well, and that's weird because, you know, my dad used to drive me around his old neighborhood when he was in his late 70s. 
and point out all the houses where his friends lived and where the girls that he liked lived, then you could tell that he was still, it was still as real to him as it had been in 1935. Sure. And, uh, and I was like, oh God, this isn't, this isn't really what it's going to be like. Is it drive around still wondering what you'd, how you could have done that differently with your 16 year old girlfriend. But I guess it is, you know, I was a late, I was, I was late to coffee, Dan. Late. Did, when did you start? I didn't have my first cup. Of, this is, I'm talking about my first ever cup of coffee mm-hmm. until I was 22. Wow. Yeah. 22 years old. Partly because I was a late bloomer, and up until the time I was 22, there was nothing, there was no problem so big that a Mountain Dew couldn't fix it. Oh, yeah. See, I I never, I knew a lot of kids that were into Mountain Dews, they would drink Coke. I never really drank any of that stuff. Yeah, Mountain Dew, Dan. I'm telling you that smoke a bowl and drink a Mountain Dew, (laughs) and you are, if you did that right now. Yeah. If you smoked a bowl. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm guessing that you have never smoked a bowl or did you, have you smoked a bowl? I don't, uh, I, you don't have to say if you're worried that your kids are going to. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried to say. Um, okay. The, the, there were a few joints yeah. which were not great, but yeah. there is a, there is a, a kind of a, the bowl, the bowl that I always saw, it, it usually had the little round end on the bottom of the tube. The one time that uh, one of my friends had one of those that I actually tried, it was like the tube was open on both ends and it had the little bird nest up on top. And you would put your hand over the other end of the tube, fill it with smoke, and then whip your hand away and and inhale through it. Right. The tube, yes. I don't know know what that thing is called. Is that just called the tube? Let's call, for the sake of this conversation, let's call it the tube. So I tried that. But that's you the closest tried. I got to a, a, a bowl. But I get there was a bowl. There was a bowl. You tried to yeah, so you ignited the the pot, which was in a bird's nest, in a little bird birdie nest on the top. And then the idea was to to get the smoke in the tube and then let go of the hole. Yes, and, and breathe the, breathe through it, and it and would. It, were you successful? Yes, you successfully filled the tube with smoke and then inhaled it. Yes, and did you get stoned? Yes. Yes, very stoned, or yes, sort of maybe stoned? This was maybe the third. Oh, okay. So you've been, you've been primed. That I tried it. The first two times were like my, you know, like my girlfriend's cousin had a joint. Yeah. And nothing really good came out of that except right. just, you know. Kind of vaguely uneasy. Vague, yeah, <laughs> uneasy. <laughs> yeah, and like my head hurt. Yeah, right. Uh, but, but then but, the third, so this is yeah. for our listeners who have never smoked pot. The first time you <laughs> smoke pot, it's very rare that you get stoned. You just get this feeling of like, Bleh. yeah. And then the second time you smoke pot, kind of similar. You're like, eh, my, I guess I feel something. Blah. Right, right, right. And then the third time you smoke pot, boy, it hits you like a train. Yeah, that's about right. And so that's what happened when you, when you, uh, when you inhaled the tube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you did you go look in the mirror and laugh? Yeah, I mean it was great. It was great fun, and it was you know like we we did it in the I had like a like a really really terrible college apartment, you know, and so that it were it was like in we we weren't like in a movie theater or anything like that. We were just there. We kind of like ate food and watched TV, and it was uh, you know it was fun. 
Right, right. Did you look at your hands and go, oh my God, look at my hands? Yeah, well, you were talking to me about that uh, a couple episodes ago, and, and, and I kind of vaguely remember doing that. So, and after that one experience, uh, which I would, I would describe as pretty tubular, uh, did you, I know you just, no. you just laughed like a stoner. <laughs> you just laughed like somebody who's stoned right now. Uh, did you, you never tried it again? Uh, one more time. There was one more time when he, Chuck came back with the thing again and the tube, the tube and, uh, and, but see, I never, I have never bought, I never bought it. Well, sure, Dan, you've smoked it four times. I'm, yeah. I, I but think I'm saying like, I, like I, you didn't buy it, but like, no, I'm saying like, you would think that if I had really liked it, I would have gone out would have done it that fifth time. Yeah. Fifth time yeah. or 10th time or, or whatever. But, uh, I, like I liked it, but it wasn't, it, it didn't have the, the, tremendous appeal now i think to now it's not legal here in texas you know right right of course not but it's if not even it, legal to podcast about it no but if it were legal here in texas and i, I think it probably should be legal that's a different show um mm-hmm. that that i would as an adult now in this in the safety of my own home etc i would probably mm-hmm. try it again recreationally mm-hmm. in a locked room with the with the with uh, blankets hung up over the windows you right. would try it one more time right well, let me say that if you were to smoke pot and drink a 32-ounce Mountain Dew, you would understand 30% of America. <laughs> you would understand 30% of all America so much better. Oh, God. Because you, it would just be like a lightning bolt. You would be like, holy cow. <laughs> what, what can you describe what that would I've, be like? You know, like I've, always, I've driven through Tennessee a dozen times. I never understood anything about it. And now I get it. <laughs> Murfreesboro, uh, like holy cannoli. Well, he's trying to explain it to me, so I I get it. Uh, well, let's see. I mean, you're uh, you arrive at a place where, as you're driving down the road, because invariably you will be driving down the road at some point, stoned mm-hmm. and full of Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will probably uh, you'll have some you'll have some supplies. One of which supply will be an orange. And rather than eat the orange, you will throw the orange out of the window and you will watch the orange roll along next to the car at 60 miles an hour for a little while until the orange self peels. What? It'll self peel. That's amazing. And when that happens, you will laugh and talk about nothing else for four hours. (laughs) And so now you understand basically all of television you understand sort of all of midwestern politics like it's it's all right there in watching that orange peel itself because it's not just the pot it's the mountain dew which which takes the pot the pot is the pot, here's the pot it's a it's a uh, or here's the here is the being stoned where you're capable of laughing at your own hand and then the mountain dew just sends it into orbit where you're like uh, not I can't laugh at my own hand because there is too much else in the world that is amazing and funny and great. <laughs> so that explains. Uh, it doesn't explain the Grateful Dead, but it does explain. Um, it explains fish, right? It sure. explains Dave Matthews Band. 
There are a lot of things that can only be explained by the conjunction of marijuana and Mountain Dew. You know what? I'm so glad you said that because I went to a Dave Matthews concert. Mm-hmm. I was not high. Mm-hmm. And I you, didn't see what the big deal was. You've not had any Mountain Dew, even no, ever. No Mountain Dew. Right. <laughs> I wasn't high off Mountain Dew or pot. Right. So you're like, what is going on here? Right. I was like, I, you know, it's all right. Like, it's, they're, you know, they're having a good time up there. I enjoyed it. Yep. But I didn't, I, I didn't come away with the same reverence that I would say 98% of the rest of the audience seemed to be feeling. Well, now here's the crazy thing, because Dave Matthews fans typically are not drinking Mountain Dew anymore. Oh. But they had to have drunk Mountain Dew in order to get on that path. Mm. But this is the connection between the Dave Matthews band and Kid Rock, right? Which you would not see any connection between these things. Right. The connection is that people at a Kid Rock concert are stoned and still drinking Mountain Dew, or maybe have moved even over to Rockstar Energy Drink. <laughs> And Mountain Dew is the gateway drug to that, obviously. Dave Matthews fans have had Mountain Dew, and then now they've moved on to kombucha or whatever. But Mountain Dew is the, you know, Mountain Dew is the path. That is the freeway. And then all the, all the roads branch off. If, you, if you've never had it, if you were sitting in your college dorm with your little one-pot uh, French press drinking coffee, you're not ever going to get either of those things. Right. Right. You're just sitting there listening to kind of blue and mm. looking up at your, at your wall poster of Jean-Paul Sartre oh, <laughs> and saying, Je suis Dan Benjamin, uh-huh. adjusting your beret. You're not going to, you're going to have no point of entry to, you know, to the majority of American uh-huh. culture. Uh-huh. So the, and the, the thing that I didn't, so you know, my dad was a religious coffee drinker. So was my mom, but it just seemed like this, you know, this witch's brew. Yeah. Now I remember and, my, my mom, she'd be there in the morning and she'd be like, shaky. She'd be like, Oh, I'm all shaky. I'd be like, why? She's like, Oh, I haven't had enough coffee. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning she'd be shaky. I'd be like, Oh, haven't you had enough coffee? She's like, no, I'm, I'm I had too much. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, it looks the same. And she was probably drinking Sanka. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what she was having? <laughs> so my dad, and this is the, this is one thing, I don't know if I've, I'm, I may have talked about this before, but, but in the seventies, my dad would go downtown and buy special coffee beans in a bag from a coffee roastery that was in the back. It was on fifth Avenue in Anchorage. The coffee roastery was in the back of a store that sold like Eskimo made tchotchkes for the tourists, right? You could go in there and buy a little doll, little Eskimo doll that had a little fur uh, parka on that was kind of, I don't know, maybe made out of seal skin. It's hard to know exactly. I can't exactly go back there, but like swizzle sticks with made of like shellacked moose pellets and you know, there were a lot of uh, Eskimo handicrafts, which at the time were kind of just seen as like flotsam, but now it's all very collectible because all that stuff was handmade and, you know, and, and kind of in kind of actually beautiful stuff. And I have a little collection of it. But my dad would go to this place and, and it was called the Kobuk Coffee Company. <clears throat> and I think the front of the store was called the Kobuk Trading Post. 
but he would, you know, you'd, you'd wend your way back through all these little racks of dolls and, and uh, dog sleds and gold pans painted with the Northern lights and a little cash on a snowy landscape. And at the back counter, there was a place where you could get coffee beans. And this is right in the middle of the era of like yeah. canned Sanka. Yeah, yeah, the worst. And then he had a little hand grinder where you would put the beans in the top of this grinder and spin the grinder like it was 1910 or 1860. And then there was a little drawer at the bottom and you'd open the drawer and there would be the ground coffee. And he would make, he would go through this whole ritual to make his coffee. Well, when my, when my dad passed away, one of the things that I said at the time was there were no secrets between my dad and me. When he died, there was nothing left unsaid, right? There was no, there was no thing that we hadn't covered there was no distance between us that later on I would say, God, I wish I had talked to him about that because we talked about it all. Yeah. But in fact, a couple of years ago, I was sitting around and I was like, wait a minute. What was that all about? What the hell was he doing? Where did he discover uh, this like preparation? Where, where did he discover like hand roasted coffee? What was that even doing in Alaska at the time? And, you know, it's not like my dad sat around building his own ham, ham radio sets, right? He wasn't somebody that was like, I'm, a, I'm this kind of guy. He just had this one peculiarity, which was that he made, he went through, through this whole rigmarole. He was the only person I knew who did. And then he was the first, he was the, the very first adapter or adopter of, uh, of an electric coffee grinder. Wow. So then suddenly 1981 or something, he's waking us up every morning with like, <laughs> and no one had ever heard such an awful sound. Um, oh, speaking of which, there's some F-15s flying over. So yeah, I hear it. They're not F-15s, of course, but whatever they are, F-18s. Uh, so, so, so now I realized He's gone. I can't ask him. And this is a genuine mystery to me. Like, like how he got, to, how he got into that, how he got into this and why he stuck with it. Why, like why this people were still drinking Sanka until 1995, but here's my dad in 1978 hand grinding his coffee beans. And he never made, he never gave you a little cup of coffee to try <laughs> or anything. Well, no. Cause it seemed like that was just adult sauce. Yeah. And then all the way through college, this is one of the curious things I've always kind of, I've always kind of wondered about. Like I was always against pretension. Oh yeah. And yet I'm very smug, but pretension was a thing I could not abide. And it seemed to me if you were in college and you had a poster of Sartre or of Hemingway on your wall instead of a poster of Aerosmith, which you should have. If you were at all pretentious, I just couldn't, I just couldn't bear it. And I had a lot of friends who were pretentious because that's who you end up being friends with. But I just, you know, I would sort of, I would encourage them to stop being pretentious. Let's say that. 
And one of the things that felt very pretentious to me in college was drinking coffee in your dorm room. (laughs) (laughs) It just seemed like an expression of that. I'm an adult now. I am an adult. And college did not at all feel like a transition to adulthood for me. It felt like it felt like you finally were released from supervision in order to be as big a child as you could possibly be. Not that you had, not that you had scrimped and saved to pay your tuition and this really mattered and you were hoping to, to learn and, and translate that into a career. No, it seemed like a time when you should burn brightly against the, the waning of the light, right? And uh, the dying of the light. And so I, I could not abide all this, this sort of, well, first of all, like it was very confusing to me when a kid had a very austere dorm room where they spent most of their time at their computer yeah. doing college work. Yeah. But boy, if you, had a, if you had a coffee maker in there, I just said, humph, humph. But then I got to Seattle and it was right at the dawn of this whole, I mean, the coffee thing in Seattle had been happening for a long time, but it was at the dawn of the sort of mainstreaming of it. And uh, I got hooked. I got hooked because I was chasing some girl and she worked as a barista. Oh, you had to go there a lot. And I couldn't go in there and order a Mountain Dew. Right. They didn't serve it, first of all. And second of all, you would the, the, the needle would have scratched across the record. And so I had to, you know, I had to start drinking coffee and I'm here I am today. Right. What if I had, what if I had kept drinking Mountain Dew? Would I be, would I be at a kid rock concert right now? Dan. I mean, I hope not. I have to think in your case. No, really? I don't think you would have. You don't know the power of Mountain Dew. Well, I just don't think of that as a, I can't imagine you drinking Mountain Dew. Like everything, really? about, I, I don't know, I, maybe I have a strange, an inaccurate image of, of you, but I feel like you're much more of a, like there's nothing about you that comes across as manufactured or mm-hmm. liking things that are manufactured. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska yeah. in the 1970s and we ate fast food. Yeah. And because that was, that was still restaurant food, right? It was like going to a restaurant was still a big deal. You'd go out and go to, go to Taco Bell. It was like, we're going to a restaurant, get your, you know, put your hat and gloves on. And, uh, yeah, for many, many years I ate Stouffer's and I just, I mean, I believe it, but I can't believe it. You know what I mean? And worse. I mean, what, what were the, it was banquet. Banquet boil in a bag Salisbury steaks were my yeah I know the Salisbury steak and the TV dinners I mean TV dinners were like I don't know if 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 our listeners are in their I would say mid thirties or older they probably had that experience where like a TV dinner that was like a special meal you know like that was like. You'd get the trays out, sit in yeah. front of the TV, watch oh, yeah. Magnum PI. I mean, this that was a special time and you had the little dessert in there and you had I mean, I loved the Salisbury steak and you know, you get the one with the little apple and if you were lucky that apple little treat thing would stay in its 
in its compartment. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, and it wouldn't, you know, like I, I love that kind of thing. I don't know. I just, I feel like you, like when I think of you, I think much more of before I would ever think of you like consuming that. I could imagine you sort of just like growing your own stuff and camping and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out outdoors outdoorsman woodsman kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was well, thinking before when you were talking about that, I was thinking about you remember that we're talking about eighties movies. Say anything. Mm-hmm. Do you remember oh, yeah. when uh, when he's uh, the the John Cusack's uh, character? He's like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, what was the line? I don't want to sell anything. I don't want to buy anything. I don't want to process anything. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed or buy anything sold or processed or process anything sold, bought or processed or repair. I mean, like he has, like, that's kind of how I imagine you being at that, in that <laughs> time period, you know, like just rejecting like everything. Yeah. Well, I couldn't, I mean, one after another, I rejected things, but food <laughs> took a long time and and in all honesty when i walk through the grocery store i avoid the frozen food aisle because i fear it i fear its hold on me oh i see i feel that walking down the frozen food aisle that i will be lured by the boston market turkey dinner and i remember when boston market had storefronts had they were actual places you would go get food in person i just found out they don't have those anymore like recently really (laughs) yeah i didn't know those went away yeah i think they went away a long time ago right a long time ago but they they focused on their uh frozen food uh aisle and i remember boston markets being pretty high quality fast food yeah, you you, for go, people who didn't who didn't know what that was, you could go in there and you could get a, a nice slice of of turkey with some sides that were looked like real vegetables and a gravy. Right. I mean it was a it was a legitimate yeah. uh turkey dinner. Yeah, for sure. And it would like and, real slices of turkey that it wasn't, you know, like it looked real. So I would go no, I'd go to, well, even now, when I go to the grocery store, I walk down the aisle, and if I walk down the aisle, all of a sudden, all these little voices call to me, Boston Market Turkey Dinner, DiGiorno Pizza, and then Stouffer's, Stouffer's, oh uh, Stouffer's Swedish Meatballs, and then- <laughs> Is that, are those the meatballs that you ate after your- no, no. I mean, now <laughs> to break your fast. After, now, now I'm, <laughs> after the high holy days, I only get my meatballs at you know they're seventeen dollars a pound at some at some <laughs> butchery course. where that you know where they they knew the pig and it came when his <laughs> name was called. <laughs> but yeah, Stouffer's, uh, and then if I'm looking at Stouffer's boiling a bag, uh, or if I'm looking at Stouffer's Swedish meatballs, it's they're just right next to banquet boiling a bag Salisbury steaks which I can not even fathom what that stuff is made of, right? It's still wonderful. I mean, if I were if I were to and you can get them for 99 cents. Like what is going into a to a Salisbury steak that's 99 cents with gravy and sometimes macaroni and cheese. But suffice to say, I cannot let myself go down the aisle because 
all these, you know, all these voices are like, John, it's so simple. So simple. It only takes a few minutes and then so delicious, full of salt and fat. So I stay, I stay away, but that's, you know, that's my, that's my legacy. That's my history. USA, America, back when we, back when they put real sugar in Coke and, and, uh, and everybody ate trashy food. Fluffernutter for the love of God.